0: Praise the Lord. Sunday school can go out. I love this song. You know when I drive sometimes in the car where I go, I sing this song and I go in the car out loud. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary. Amen. And you know what? I'm on the Monash. The Monash. Yes. The Monash. Is that right? Is it working, Sharia? Did you get it going? Praise the Lord. And when I'm on the Monash, everybody moans. You know what happens? I don't moan, sir. To know. I can see them as I drive fast, past them. They don't say it, but you can read it on their faces. Monash. And I see mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. And next to me is that guy moaning on the Monash. <laughs> there, my burdened soul found liberty. And he still moaning when I shouted out, A Calvary. Amen. You see, this is what Calvary does. He gives us joy, unspeakable and full of glory. This is what the table of the Lord does. Amen. How wonderful is that? Praise the Lord. Oh man, I could just sing it over and over again and let's sing it and go home. But no, we are here this morning for the word of the Lord. Amen. We are going to talk today about Colossians in part 8. We've come to chapter 2, verse 16 and 23. We're going to finish chapter 2 today. But before I go into this, I just want to make a correction on last week's sermon. So uh, last week I preached and I got on fire. And man, if I get on fire, I need to watch when I say, because, you know, I just want to say it. And uh, my beautiful wife listened to the sermon again and she said, listen to this again. Now, it wasn't wrong what I said, but I just need to correct it. I said at one stage, when we do something wrong, what do we need to do? We repent. We repent of what we do wrong, yes? And then I listened to myself and I said, we don't save. please forgive me. We just repent because we've forgiven uh, in the past, uh, present and future sins. And that's true. But friends, when we do something wrong, we repent of our sins and we ask God to forgive us. I just want to correct that. And I want to say to you, dear friends, I'm not over, high and above anybody in this place. If you ever hear me and it doesn't sound good, tell me and I'll correct it. So, uh, I just want to, if you listen to last week's sermon and you come to that point, just remember, I do believe that we repent of our sins and we say, Father, please forgive us. Friend, let me tell you, we, we sin against God and if we sin against God, we ask forgiveness. You know what He does? He forgives us. 1 John chapter 1, verse 89, He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. In the name of Jesus. Now, this morning I want to get right into the word because I'm going to talk about a very contagious subject in the churches. And this is what I find so fantastic about going through the word verse by verse. You see, some things you can't just now skip over with because you don't want to talk about it because it's going to upset people. So you can't sit here this morning and say, oh, Pastor, you picked that because you saw me somewhere. No, no, I'm just continuing going on and we're going to talk about it. Now, let's open up in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. He says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you or your, for your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Oh, we see a lot of those in the day, in, in, our, in, in the times today in churches. And verse 90 says, And not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grow with the increase that is God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, oh why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Very good point. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and a neglect of the body, but are not of any value against the indulgence of the flesh. Heavenly Father, I pray over your word this morning. I want to ask you, Lord, to help me. Father, thank you that when we are weak, you are strong. We are nothing, you are everything. And in this morning, as I open up the word, I pray that you touch my mind with your Holy Spirit. Father, help me with pronunciation, vocabulary, and with a calm heart to preach this message, just as you want it to be preached, in Jesus' name, Amen. So in the church in Colossae, we found a very interesting combination of people coming together. In fact, in the Old Testament church. In the church, there would have been Jews who were saved, Messianic Jews. These people came out of Judaism. And with that came a lot of history. Uh, we can call it baggage. You know that term when you say somebody is bringing baggage with him into a relationship. And this is the same that happened in the Church of Colossae. There was those people who came out of Judaism, and they brought with them all of the regulations and laws and everything how to worship and serve God. But also within that church you would have had Romans, Roman citizens who were saved by the grace of God when they heard the Gospel. And with them they would have brought with them a lot of baggage out of the Roman system, the Romans gods, Athens and Mercury and Zeus and all of these gods. And they they could stand up there and testify how miraculously when they heard the gospel was saved by God and now they sit in the church. Some of the people in the church might have come out of the Greek backgrounds. Some of them might have come out of the Eastern religions. You remember the silk road that was formed from the East to the West? It is a well-known road where they formed the silk with the worms that spin silk and they make fabrics out of that. And it's, it's a very treacherous road from the East over to the West. But you know what is so wonderful about it, there's dangers in that as well, because they bring the Eastern religions right through the Silk Road into these Western societies and into the same place. But the good thing is also that those people who came from those backgrounds got in touch with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And most probably in that church they were sitting a lot of people out of these eastern worlds from china and those places and with them they brought some baggage into the church and how wonderful is it dear friends that the gospel cuts right through all of that it unifies them in the body of christ as brothers and sisters now with that and with the church starting to grow and things happening good there is also danger to come, as you all now know, because we studied through this book now for the past few months, and that is that with those baggage, a lot of those praises comes onto the church to push people away from the grace of Christ into Christ plus something else, law. And this is what we saw there and this is what we see that Epaphras asked Paul his advice about it and Paul writes a letter to this church warning them. And we saw that. First of all, we saw that he warns them about deceivement there in verse 4. He saying, and I say this, that no, not anyone should beguile you with enticing words. That's religious systems and leaders, that's charismatic. So whilst the church was growing, These people who came out of these religions, I can just imagine they said, look, this is not how we are used that things were done. We need to do things like we feel used to it. The gospel doesn't care about how you feel. He doesn't feel, uh, care at all. He warns them as you've known about cheating. He says there in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, the tradition of men, the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. And this touches on philosophy and traditions. And we looked into all of that. Now today, we want to end this chapter as he then says, Let no one judge you. Let no one judge you in verse uh, 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 16 He says, Let no one judge you in food, in drink, regarding festivals or new moons and sabbaths. And this goes into legalism and the regulations instead of grace. Regulations. And then we're going to see also today, he warns them about defrauding. In verse 18, he says, let no man beguile you. In other words, defraud you of your reward in voluntary humility, worshipping angels, intruding into those things which have not seen. And this is interesting. You see the word there? Intruding into those things which he has not seen. We'll talk about that a bit this morning. And I'll give you practical examples that you can say, ah, it's happening in our day. This is mysticism and the doctrine of experiences. So he, he says to them, he says, let no one judge you. Let no one judge you in these things. It is legalism. And these things were observed under the Mosaic Law. Moses, you remember when he went onto the mountain and he received the law of God, and and remember Christ came out of the Jews, so it's out of that that he comes with all of this, and the Judaizers had all of this baggage with them of the law. It was given specifically to the nation of Israel. This is important to understand and to know. It was given to Israel by God through Moses. In Leviticus chapter 26, 46, he says, These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between who? Between himself and the children of Israel. The children of Israel. On the Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. Hence we call it the Mosaic law. It is a law that came in through Moses. Not Moses' law, God's law, but he used Moses to give it to the people. This is important to understand and to know, as you're going to see, as we're going to unpack it further on. So, it was made out of three parts, this law. First of all, we had the Ten Commandments. Remember when Moses went up on the mountain? And now in Exodus, we read about the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal and you know all of the Ten Commandments and they are there and they are in your Bible We got them through this nation and then there's the ordinances It wasn't only the Ten Commandments, but there are so many ordinances that God gave Moses that these people should live by Leviticus, Exodus, go read through all of those chapters and those books and you will find all of the ordinances how to conduct as a people. And then the worst worship system, God instituted a worship system for these people in the midst of the world that was worshipping false gods. It was for the Israel people. It says there, between himself and Israel, the children of Israel. You can say at this point in time it was not applicable to the Gentiles. Although, Although, friends, if you look into any Gentile nation, you will find as a root the Ten Commandments in the way they live. Although they they don't say it and they don't know it, but it's there. Everybody lived by seven days. The French came out of one state and they wanted to extend a seven-day week into a ten-day week, and people died. They couldn't do that. God made us to live for seven days' weeks. It's amazing. But this was how it was made up. And, and you say, what is the purpose of the Mosaic Law? The purpose was to reveal the holy character of an internal God to the nation of Israel. That was the purpose. And it's still the purpose today. We'll get to that. In Leviticus 19, verse 2, he says, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Who shall be holy? The children of Israel. They shall be holy for the God your Lord is holy. So this reveals the holy character of God to His people, the law. He said this is the ordinances. Secondly, the nation of Israel was distinct from all the other nations. This is why the law of God was given to them. They were distinct from all of the others. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Who will be a special people? Israel. They will be a special people. So God chose this nation. And what is He doing? He gives them the law, the ordinances, the way of worship to do what? To show them that He's a holy God and they're a special people. And you know what it shows us? It shows us how a sinful people can approach a holy God. That's what this nation do. But also, it reveals the sinfulness of man. This is what the law does. The sinfulness of man. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19, He says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. So what does he do? It reveals the sinfulness of man. The law is a tutor. It's a a teacher. It tells you that you are not perfect and God is perfect. Also, it provides forgiveness through the sacrifice and offerings. That's what he did. For the people who had faith in the Lord in the nation of Israel. They were sacrifices instituted so that the blood of animals could cover their sins. You you know what, friend? God could have wiped them out. He could have. And And so many times when you read through the Old Testament, how many of them died? Thousands and millions if they disobeyed God. But you know what? He had grace and mercy. He gave them the law. And in this law there were ordinances where they were going to blood sacrifice animals and the blood of those animals was going to cover their sins and God will not have His wrath against them. This is what God put in place. And how wonderful is that? And then it was to provide a way of worship through the yearly feasts. I love to read through the feasts. But for this reason only. The feast points towards Christ. But in back in the day they didn't know it. You see they were looking forward to the cross whereas we look backwards to the cross they were looking towards the cross but they had these feasts which they had to do every single year. Every single year. And friend, it wasn't like some people at church these days where, you know, we knit one and skip one and knit one and skip one. No, no, because they had all of these ordinances placed upon them. They worshiped God with a truthful heart. They wanted to do that. They didn't miss these feasts. Why? Because they feared the, uh, the anger of God could come upon them. And these feasts, these laws and everything was put in place there for them. So they didn't miss these feasts. They went to every one of them religiously. And then it was also a purpose was to provide God's direction for the physical and spiritual health of the nation. And this is the important one I want to touch on. It is God's direction for the physical and the spiritual health of the nation. Physical and spiritual, this is why God has put in some dietary laws for them to follow. This is why God had unclean animals which they could not eat. Because, friends, they didn't have the facilities like we have, a fridge. Uh, my fridge just broke the last week and I've got a brand new Westinghouse fridge in there. I'll tell you what, living one week without a fridge, you feel so exposed. You, you live from the hand to the mouth, you know that concept? These people didn't have all of those. So God knew in all of His wisdom what He could allow these people to eat and what not. Not only for physical health, but also for their spiritual health. God identified these animals. He identified these ordinances to have them spiritually healthy and physically healthy. It is important to understand that. So, it is true to say that the nation of Israel was a distinct group of people in the world that God used and used to to them. Now, it's interesting to see this because God set them apart by the law. Is, Is it evident? It's evident there. They were following these laws. They were following these feasts. You see point B there, the nation of Israel is distinct from all other nations because of the covenant he's put in place. My question just quickly to you this morning, what has God given us to sanctify us from the world? Do we still do all of these things? Do they still look at us like the Orthodox Jews back then in Israel and go, they are distinct? And they are, but they are also deceived because they do not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior today. But what do we as the church have this morning? Oh, some people say we are spiritual Israel, so we have this now. No, no, friends, it is so easy for you and for me, because He came. It says in John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 4 says, He came and He became life and lived with us. Verse 14, by the way, He came and He lived amongst us. Jesus Christ distinguishes us from the world. This is all a shadow of Him. This is now when you open up in John chapter 17, verse 17, He says, Lord, this is a prayer by our Lord Jesus Christ to the Father for us. He says, Father, I pray to you, sanctify them. You know what sanctify means? It means set them apart. And then He goes on to say, by your truth. And then he finishes that verse, John 17, 17, don't check me. He finishes that verse, he says, Your word is truth. So what sanctifies, set us apart from the world? The word of God. We hold on to the word of God. Now it amazes me, friends. It absolutely amazes me that people throw it out. They don't want to preach it anymore. So I want to say to you this morning, they ain't sanctified anymore. If you throw the word of God out, which talks about our Lord Jesus Christ, which gives you the mind of God. If you throw it out, what have you thrown out? The sanctification. He fulfills every single law in Him. He was the perfect sacrifice. Nobody else. You see, the Mosaic law is not binding upon the new covenant people. You go, whoa, you, what are you saying? That we're not under the law anymore? No, no, by far. Paul says, no, that's not what we say. But it's fulfilled in Christ. That is what it's fulfilled in. It's no effort from you anymore because He's done the effort at the cross. That's, that's, some people do not live in the freedom of Christ because of this point. They can't see it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 25, my brother said it at the Lord's table this morning. He says in the same manner, He also took the cup after the supper. And what did He say? What did He say? He said, this cup is what? The new covenant. You see the covenants there? He says in Exodus 19 verse 5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure above all people in the earth of mine. Yet in the New Testament, he comes to me, he sits at the Lord's table, at his table. And what did he say? He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. So what am I saying this morning? What is Paul saying to us this morning? He says that all of this law is a shadow of the substance which is Christ. And let no one come and put you back under the law again. This is what he sees. And it is so important. So now he breaks it open for us. With that background, let me open up it for you. He says, let no one judge you in food. In food. A man, I've had people over the years preaching about food. Thou shalt not eat pig. You shall not eat pork, because pork is unclean. And they can continue. I've had a man once who said to me, if he comes to a place and there was bacon on the bread, he even scrapes the the bread that touches the bacon off the bread. And then he eats the bread. And you know what, friend? We're going to see that in a minute. But this is what he talks about. He says, let no one come to the point where they judge you in food. This means the unclean animals. You cannot eat an ostrich. And I'll tell you what, I've had the most wonderful biltong. Who knows what's biltong? It's South African jerky, beef jerky, which is dried out in South Africa, coming from ostrich, ostrich biltong. And it was wonderful. And I, I mean, I, we don't get it over here, I don't know why, but it was so wonderful. But you see, if you look in the Old Testament, it's an unclean animal. And I couldn't have eaten that biltong biltong. And then what about, you know, all of these things that people eat? And and this is what he talks about. He says, look, let no one judge you in these things. Let no judge. Why? Because it was a shadow. It was showing. And look, I've got so many scripture verses, and I'm happy to share them with you. But in the book of Acts, we see Peter on the roof, in job on the roof of the house, and we see this 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 uh, um, uh, veil comes down with animals in there, and the Lord says to him, eat, and all of the unclean animals is in there. And he had this talk with the Lord, and the Lord says to him, what I deem to be clean is not for you to deem unclean. And we can go into that. What I'm not going to do this morning is have this whole opening up of all of the arguments around this, but what I'm saying is what Paul says he says, Do not judge in food, do not do, and, and the whole book of Romans, chapter 14, he writes about this. You can you read the whole book. He says that in Romans 14, verse 1, and receive him who is weak in the faith, weak in the faith, for the just are live by faith. But do not judgment of your thoughts, for indeed one believes to eat all things. But being weak, another eats vegetables. See that? He says, look, one who believes can eat all things. And he eats all things. He eats meats. It doesn't matter what meat it is. Now, I need to make a distinction. It's not only about pork only, okay? Because I just told you, within this church, there's all of these people from different backgrounds. But what some people did, and this was the more pressing issue for them on the day, is some of the people who were saved now used to eat meat sacrificed to gods at the temples. That was a big no-no. You don't eat the meat in the temples because it's sacrificed to the gods. Now, they were sitting in church and they feel, look, it's nothing wrong with them now to eat these meats and they might have eaten them. So some people might have come into church and said, oh, no, 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 we're going to judge you if you still eat that meat. This is what it says, let no one judge you. Because it's all by faith now. He says, being, some eats vegetables. Do not let him who eats despise him who does not eat. And do not let him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. He says, so, you know, the one who sits here and eats can't point finger to the other one. The other one point finger to the other one. Why? Because we are under the grace of God. This is important to know. So food is one big thing. And these people are still today, who wants to teach this in churches and say, oh, you can't eat certain foods. And out of that, a lot of false teachers, teachings came out. Helen White, uh, the, the, one of the founders of Mormonism, uh, she's got a whole book that she's written about dietary laws. I think it's Mormonism, is it? Seventh-day Adventist. Seventh-day Adventist. Thank you that's right see he wrote the whole thing and it became a doctrine for them whereas paul here says watch out for those things this is what i'm talking about let no one bring you under the law so now the seven-day adventists all of the you know they they teach it religiously and they do not conduct in that but there's freedom in christ now let me touch on another one and i must say when i touch on the next one it might surprise you what i'm going to say But friends, I'm not here to give you my opinions. We need to preach the Word of God as it is. He says also in food and drink. Have you noticed? He talks about wine and strong drink. He comes and He says, Let no one judge you in food what you eat or in strong drink. That wine, the drink, that is what that refers to. And in Leviticus chapter 10 verse 8, He says, Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, and he say, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor your sons with you. When you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a, st- a statue forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between holy and the unholy and between unclean and clean. And that you may teach the children of Israel all the statues which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. Oh, and now, now I come from a church who preach this. They go, oh, you see, that says that you are not allowed to drink. Now let me say to you, and it might shock you what I'm going to say, but there's no scripture verse, not one scripture verse in the Bible that says that drinking wine is a sin. Or that drinking is sin. He says there's no, there's none. If you find one scripture which says it's a sin, bring it to, oh, wait a minute, Paul writes in one stage, he says that no drunkard will see the heaven. Yes, he talks about that. But he didn't talk about wine, he talked about drunkenness which is causing by the wine or by the strong drink. And they use the scripture verse. And they say, you see there it says that you're not. And and it says for you and for your generations, through your generations, that you may distinguish. And what he's talking about, let's just clarify, he was talking here to whom? To the general people or to the, the priesthood? He was talking to Aaron here. To the priesthood, to the Levites, and he said to them, he said, you shall not drink wine or intoxicating drink, and, and let me just say, this is wine that can make you intoxicated. It can make you drunk. Why did he say it to them? Because the people will come to the priests and to the Levites, and they have to judge between... What things? He says, so that you may distinguish between holy and unholy and between clean and unclean. Now, if you're intoxicated, you cannot sit there and distinguish between these things. So then the priests were to abstain from drinking, but he did not talk to the nation. Let me give you a second verse. Numbers chapter 6, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say to them, when either man or woman shall separate himself to a vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate them unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from the wine and strong drink and shall drink no vinegar or wine, vinegar or strong drink, neither shall he be drink a liquor or grapes, nor any moist grapes or dry. It was very severe. He said, if you're a Nazarite, which by the way, Jesus was under the Nazarite, then you are not allowed to drink these things, separate you from wine and strong drink. Again, he identifies certain people. He didn't throw this open to the whole nation. I had a man once come to me and he said to me, and he wanted to have a whole argument about, oh, Jesus, you know, the Nazarite, Jesus. He was the one, his first miracle was the wine where? at Cana. You remember that? He changed water into wine. And he started talking and he wanted to have this discussion about it was yayin, which wasn't an intoxicating, and you know, it wasn't grape juice and all of those things. And I said, Friend, you've missed the miracle here. Everybody sees the water turned into wine, and it is a miracle. But the miracle, what Jesus conducted at Cana, wasn't as much about the wine, it was the space of time. He showed the people he's got the miracle over time. Because if you think about it if you want to make wine and I'm by far not a wine maker but I have read a few things about making wine it takes time to do it you have to wait for the grape on the vine to mature how long does that take it takes time. And then you need to take it off the wine, put it in a wine place and take off your shoes and stand it and stamp it out. And you have to take the pulp out and the juice goes into a separate thing. I know it sounds, or if you say their feet, but that's how they did it. They, I think they washed their feet, I hope so. I didn't drink the wine, so it doesn't bother me. So here they go, they, they point and they stamp on all the wine and it comes out. <coughs> Excuse me. And how long does that take? And then they bottle it up and then it waits. How long? You go and talk to a winemaker, and he says, A patient winemaker makes the best wine. So, here's the fact of the matter, friends that Jesus changed water into wine. What did he take out of the occasion? Time. He is the master of time. That's the miracle. Yes, he did change it into wine so that the people at the feast said, It's the best wine. It's the best wine. Now he goes on here and he says, let them, these things here, he says to them, let not Aaron and let not the Nazarites do this. Look at this now in Mark 7 verse 14, and when he had called all the multitude unto himself, this is Jesus, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand, there is nothing that enters a man from the outside that can defile him. Is that Right? Nothing from the outside can defile him. Does that mean the food that you eat? Does it mean everything that you drink? Everything, it includes wine. It cannot defile him. Now, hang on. He says, there is nothing that can defile him because he's talking here about a spiritual principle. It's it's about sinning, the the defilement of the soul. But the things which come out of him, those are things that defile a man. If anyone... He uh, has ears to hear, let him hear When he had entered the house away from the crowd His disciples asked him concerning the parable So he said to them Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart But his stomach and it's eliminated I think we know what that elimination means It's eliminated, thus purifying all foods And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? From within our heart, men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murder, thefts, covetousness. And then he gives the whole list there. All evil things come from within and defile a man. So what are you saying this morning? Are you saying that you are promoting drinking? I say with a big emphasis, no. In fact, friends, I preach abstinence as a matter of choice. I preach abstinence as a matter... I totally believe in abstinence. You know what abstinence is? Stay away from it. And this is the reasons why. First of all in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 21 he says Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight Woe unto them that are mighty to drink and men of strength to mingle strong drink What does he say? He says woe unto them You see the word? He says to them there is trouble that comes through alcohol Is it true? You look around you dear friends I've got, I've got evidence I've experienced it, I've seen it Alcohol breaks homes apart Damages relationships That is a big woe in our day and age Young people who become alcoholics So I'm not standing here in front of you And saying look it is ok to drink Or sipping saints or anything No no I am preaching to you so, uh, That you need to abstain from it But I can't stand here and say that you're a sinner because the Bible don't teach it. I'm not going to preach false. Yes, the acts that come out of drinking leads to sin. And that sin will get you. So I'm saying this morning, stay away from it. Not me, the Bible says it. Look at this one. Proverbs 23 verse 29. He says, who has woe? You see, he was warned in Isaiah. He says, woe unto the mighty to drink wine and the men who mingle strong drink. So yes, he touches strong liquor as well. He says, woe. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Have you seen somebody who's intoxicated? Oh, they they cry about nothing. (coughs) What's going on? I don't know. but. (coughs) He says, they have sorrow. Who has strife? Come on, who has strife? Have you seen people who are intoxicated in the strife that it causes? Hence, I'm telling you this morning, I preach abstinence. Who has wounds without cause? I've seen this. When they are so drunk and they pass out and they hit the head against something and they don't know what's going on around them, they've lost lost total control about them, somebody walks past, kicked them, they didn't even know it, the next day they woke up and say, "I, I wonder what happened to my leg, it's so sore, it's wounds without cause. Who is complaining? Have you ever heard somebody intoxicated complaining? That's when it opens up Oh, and the whole flood starts coming out. Who has the redness of eyes? The Bible is so true, isn't it? So direct. Those who tarry long over the wine, he says, these are the ones. Those who go to try mixed wine, this is the intoxicating drinks. Do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup. That touches your champagne as well, by the way, and goes down smoothly. These are the people. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. You see that? Now, friends, why would you want to train your children to drink alcohol if you don't know if that adder is going to bite your children? Let's say it as it is. I mean, if if I've made a few people mad, I might as well now go on. I'm, I'm in trouble anyway. But let's say it as it is. Why would you train? Why would Dad come around and say, now you're old enough, I'm going to train you how to drink if you don't know if that's going to be an adder that's going to bite that young boy or girl and make them an alcoholic. That's why I preach abstinence. He says, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of a sea. It's as if the world turns around you, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but he did not feel. When shall, when, when shall I awake? I must have another drink. This is so true. So friends, I, I believe, you know, when, when, when and, and it was there, alcohol is there, it's in our day as well. I'm not going to sit here and say you've got to be responsible about it because you can't. Let me tell you, alcohol is a suppressant. And and, and look, look, don't come to me and say, you know, I'm not drunk. If you take one sip, you're drunk already because already that one sip suppresses your mind. This is why he say, I'm going to preach abstinence from it because of the dangers and the destruction he does. It's not good. It's not good. So when I become a child of God, I want to hold on. And say, Father, I want I to hold on, not to the laws governed by the laws, but to Christ, who gives me freedom from all of those things. Uh, there's another one, Proverbs 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. This is what happens. You know, people, once they get drink, they want to have fights, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 21, 17, he who loves pleasure will be a poor man. Look, look, he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. I've seen it how alcohol and these things makes people poor. I've seen it with my own eyes. Because everything goes into that. You see, friends, Paul comes back here, he says, let no one judge you. It's a matter of conscience. And the Holy Spirit will come and He will, he will, he will convict you. Romans fourteen twenty It is good neither to eat nor drink wine. There you go. Paul said it like I say it this morning, I preach abstinence, Paul preached abstinence, I absolutely believe it, but he's not going to bring you under a law, no, he says it right there, it's good neither to eat this, nor to drink wine, nor to drink, by which your brother stumbles, or is offended in, and is made weak, so what does it mean? I've seen this happen before, you know, if somebody has got a weakness in that, Don't you walk around and say, Oh man, I'm free in Christ, I've got the grace. And walk around and you're conducting it. Because you make your brother to stumble. You make your brother to stumble. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is from faith is a sin. I say it again. I say it again this morning. Friends, I will not conduct into this because you do not know what the end thereof is. You, you know what he does? It's a suppressant. Some people, when they feel depressed, they go to the wine. Why? Because it's going to make you feel more happy. It's going to make you feel free and relieved. Some people go there to escape time. Some people just want to be happy about it. For some, it is a habit they are into now. It needs to be broken. Because there's only one happiness that can make you truly happy, and it's Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians, Paul warns them, he says, do not get drunk with wine. He says it to them. So again, I believe he preaches abstinence. But you see, Paul can't come around and say it's a law. That if you, if you drink your wine, it's going to be a sin and you're condemned by that sin of just taking that drink. It is, it is the consequences of doing that that he says, do not drink wine because the Holy Spirit will fill you up and He will make you happy and glad. Be filled with the Spirit. Now again, these people come and they say, how you get drunk in wine, now you need to get so drunk in the Spirit and you see people funny, uh, swaying around pulpits these days. That is blasphemous, by the way. So, it's a matter of conscience. I say, Colossians chapter 2 verse 16, he says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink. Let them not judge you. But now, do you understand when I say that we preach abstinence? The cause thereof is destruction. There's no good thing that comes, Oh, somebody, some person comes to me and says, Wait a minute, but Paul also said that don't drink water, but mix a little bit of wine with water for your stomach. And it's true. It is true that alcohol can be good for the body. But not in this way that he's talking about. Not in a way. No way. So that is why it is, friends, that we can't make it a law, but we have to, we have to step away from it. Why would you want to go and dabble into something that can bite you? If you see a snake lying there, Are you going to go over and touch the snake's head? Are you? Alcohol is a snake. The Bible says it. Stay away from it. I think I've said enough on that. Happy to talk to you afterwards, but I believe what the Bible preached about it, and I believe in abstinence. He goes on to say about new moons and sabbaths. Now let me talk about new moons. This was monthly festivals they had. And the day was celebrated by the blowing of trumpets. They would people, put people on high places and they would look out over the horizon. And as soon as they see the moon coming up and they can see that it forms, it's going to be a blue, uh, not a blue moon, a full moon. Then they started running down to the synagogue and they get in there and they say, it's a blue moon. And it kicks off a sacrifice, a special sacrifice that would blow the trumpets and everybody had to gather together. He says, do not be judging that. Because, again, it is a substance of Christ. And then also he talks about Sabbaths. These are contentious things in the churches these days. Eating, drinking, and Sabbaths. Sabbaths. Why Sabbaths? Because, you know, there's a group of people who say, you guys come together on a Sunday, every Sunday, and you, you have church. It should be on a Saturday. Who said that one? That Sabbath is on a Saturday. And you know what? They are right. This Sabbath was on a Saturday. I'm not going to debate that. I had a man again. He came to me once. We wanted to rent their hall. And I thought, geez, that works out really good, actually, if you think about it. They have church on a Saturday. We have it on a Sunday. The church is open on a Sunday. So I approached the man, and, and he was happy. You know, we will pay rent. They get money in. So he took me through the whole facilities. And as we walk through, it's a beautiful facility, he took me into the auditorium. And as we walk into the auditorium, I thought, "I said, yeah, that is really great. He says, man, you can have access to every single thing that's here. That's all good. And, and I thought, let's talk about how much we're going to pay for this. And then he asked me, he says, why do you not believe in the Sabbath? Out of the blue, he tried to quote me of God. I said, yes, but I do believe. And before I could even say it further, he says, but do you understand as a preacher of the word that you are going to go straight to hell and be, be cast into the deepest part of hell because you preach on a, Saturday, on a Sunday, not a Saturday? And, and I couldn't even be, and before I couldn't even answer that, he goes, and, and do you believe in the rapture of the church? I go, yes, I do. He says, even then, there's a thing that you're going to go deeper into this pit. And I go, friend, the Sabbath for me is not a day. The sabbath for me is christ it's christ but he didn't want to hear so let me show you the scripture verses that i'm standing on in hebrews chapter 4 verse 7 he sees again marks out a certain day say, saying in david today after so long a time even as it is said today if you will hear his voice harden not your hearts for if joshua had given them rest they uh, then he would have not asked to have spoken of another day. You see, this points back towards Joshua, who was pointing towards a day of rest. So then there remains a rest to the people of God. There remains one, a rest to the people of God. For he who has entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. The Sabbath didn't start when God instituted it to the nation. It started in Genesis the seventh day God rested. Therefore, let us labor to enter into that rest. Let us anyone fall under the same example of unbelief. Jesus Christ himself in Luke chapter 6, verse 1, and it happened on the uh, second chief Sabbath. He went through the grain fields. Now, you know what Sabbath means to the Jews? You can't work. There are so many laws that they put towards this. I mean, if you sit on a chair... And the feet of the chair makes holes in the ground that is ploughing, and you're in trouble. On a Sabbath you can only walk a few meters and you need to sit down, you're not allowed to. Look, they still, here in Caulfield they still have their Sabbaths. And here Jesus comes and they walk through the grain fields, and his disciple plucked the heads of grain and ate it, rubbing them in their hands. Oh no, that's considered working. You're not allowed to work on a Sabbath. And a certain Pharisee said to them, Why do you that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus said to them, Have you not read this, that David, when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God and took showbread and ate it, and he also gave to those who were with him, which is not lawful to eat, except for priests, and this is it. And he said to them, The son of man is Lord also over the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So this man, when he said that to me, I said to him, I've got Sabbath every day. He looked at me puzzled. I said, Jesus Christ is my Sabbath. I don't have to wait for a Sunday to come here to worship him. I don't have to come here on a Sunday to go into his rest or on your Saturday. I'm in his rest every day. I'm in his Sabbath. So he says, do not get judged over this. Now let's finish off this morning. He also said to them in verse 18, let no one beguile you in reward in false humility. Oh man. False humility. Somebody come up on the stake and says, oh man, I am so humble. <laughs> Is that humility? <laughs> no, that's Pride. I am so humble, and look the whole endeavor, oh I'm so humble, oh it's false humility, and they catch people by that, and worshipping of angels, this is mysticism, it's entering our churches, it's there, it's rife, intruding into those things which he has not seen, how many people claiming stuff they've seen, oh I've had a vision, I've seen a vision, And they come into the church and they i've I've heard just two three weeks ago about a 12 year old boy who died and and while he was dead had a vision of heaven look i I haven't been there i haven't been dead i haven't been with him but but now he's talking about stuff which is not even in the bible and and he this is what he talks about those things which he has not seen they talk about it and you know what it amazes me friends how many people follow them they follow them. They would much rather follow the lie than the truth, the Bible says. Oh, these things vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. They are so puffed up with this. I, uh, you know, and I can go many I can talk about this for hours. I've got so much um, information about this. And I don't even, you can just go freshly and look this week. Look on TV evangelists what they do. People standing on stages and they drunk in the spirit. Have you heard that one? they drunk in the spirit. And I go, why would I want to be drunk in the spirit? And you know what they will say when you come in? Don't think, don't pray. Just go with the flow, experience it. It's all about doctrine of experience. And they write books and they get people to follow these books. How to experience the Holy Spirit. A book about it. And churches take those books and you know what they do? They have Bible studies around it. This is what he wants about. And they will go away on camps. And in this camp you're going to experience the Holy Spirit. Friend, if if you're conducting that, I question, listen to me very carefully. And again, I'm saying, you know, there might be somebody already mad at me. I might as well go all the way. Let, Let me say it there. Let me just say it. If you want to go to a camp to experience the Holy Spirit, I question your salvation. I question. Why? Because what happens when you are born again? What comes and lives inside of you? The Holy Spirit. Not you get saved today and the Spirit comes into you three or four days or a week or two weeks or five months later. It happens there. It happens there. But these people talk about experiences have you experienced the holy spirit yes he saved my soul i have and then you know they say uh, uh, you know a way of showing people is speaking in tongues but look i can talk about that as well i do believe in speaking in tongues but i also do believe that speaking in tongues talking in in 1 corinthians chapter 12 is not speaking in tongues that happened in acts it's not they spoke languages of different people whoa praise the lord it's heavy stuff this morning, Janel. But this is it. This is what he warns them about. And we have to hear it. We have to know it. So that when it happens, we can see it for what it is. It's a lie. And he warns about it. He says, not holding fast to the head. These people are not holding fast to Jesus Christ. Why? Because they are vainly puffed up in their fleshly minds. It's all about them. It, you know, one person will come in and says, oh man, if I lay my hands on you, you are anointed by the Holy Spirit. Or they come and take off their jacket and show it over the crowd and everybody falls down. They are vainly puffed up. That's what it is. Why? Because they do not hold on fast to the head from whom all the people, norries and knit together by the joints and ligaments, grow and increase. That is from God. And now he gives us just a summary. In verse 20, he says, therefore, what for? Everything that he said before that. If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? You know what he says to the church in Galatians? He says to them, oh foolish Galatians. He says it's foolish to do that. You started off in the spirit, now you go back under the flesh. He says it in different words here do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. This is a perfect description of legalistic religion. And you can listen to those sermons, they'll come in and they'll preach those sermons do not do not do not do not no no the gospel of christ is freedom but he says shall we now shall we now sin so that grace might increase no by far not now that we have christ we do not and i haven't got a hunger or a taste for alcohol anymore why because he set me free and if he set you free it's not your own efforts you are free indeed you see this is we are defined more by what we don't do than what we do, if you do that. And it's law. It says, which all concerning things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men, the men, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and a neglect of the body, but are of no value Against the indulgence of the flesh You have died with, the, with Christ from the basic Principles of the world he said We have died with Christ And this is the key to live Above legalism We have died with Christ We have died to these laws And these legal things Not to conducting them Again I want to repeat myself That Jesus came to Fulfill the law We are not under the law, we are under Christ. We still obey the law. We still. I mean, it's not to say that you can now go and murder a person. Hey, I'm under Christ. Christ taught me to do that. He will never do that. He will not. He says these things as an appearance of wisdom, but there's no value against the flesh. Now this verse here, I think, is the biggest indictment against legalism in the whole Bible. This verse here. He says, These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. It appears as if it's wise, but it's not. It's self imposed religion, it's false humility, and the dread of the body, but of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And uh, let me also say, of no strength against the indulgence of the flesh. You can try to live under the Lord's laws, good luck. Go and try it. You know how it works? I gave you. My forest cake example in the fridge Your flesh will take over Paul says O wretched man that I am Who will save me from this body of sin He says it in the present tense He says the things I want to do I don't do And the things I don't want to do I do That's the flesh So you've got one of two choices this morning You can submit that flesh to Christ Or you can submit that flesh to the law If you're going to submit it to the law Good luck Good luck If you submit it to Christ, He's there to help you, above and abundantly. Praise the Lord.